the Etna Green Church of Christ, we've been studying uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's, um, Jesus's sermon that addresses life in the kingdom. Uh, if you want to know uh, the sort of uh, what's the constitution of the kingdom or what is the guiding principles or what is the ethics and how a Christian uh, is called to live their life, to me, I, the first place I would go is say, we need to look at the Sermon on the Mount because it is Jesus' clear statement of this is how you follow me. This is your life in the kingdom. Now this morning our message is going to be about Jesus protecting life. About the heart of God for all of his creation to protect and care for life. That it matters deeply to God and his kingdom and that it should matter deeply to God's children and his citizens. Uh, and so this morning, uh, before we uh, dig all the way in, I'll, we'll read the text, uh, but we're going to do a little backtracking. Uh, we're going to hop way back into Genesis for a moment because it, I think it informs what's going on. If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be in chapter 5, verse 21. What we've been learning about is that Jesus announces the hope of his kingdom and that Jesus is preaching a sermon that he actually wants us to live, that it's not just some pie-in-the-sky idea, but that Jesus actually wants us to live out what he's teaching. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, as I shared last week, which points us to Jesus is addressing our lives and wants us to live with renewed hearts. That he's not just looking at how do we follow the letter of the law, but he wants to get to the root. He wants to get to the root of what is going on in each and every one of us. What's going on within our hearts? And he wants to ask the question, are our hearts beating for God and his kingdom? Do we live out of a posture of love for God and love for others? Let's open and look at our text this morning. Jesus will begin with a quote. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. That's a quote from one of the Ten Commandments. That's probably one of the few ones that we can remember off the top of our heads. I can remember that. I'm not supposed to murder, I'm not supposed to steal, and there's something about not having other gods, right? Well, 
all of this is really, the Exodus is where you get the Ten Commandments. But where you get the driving principle of the value of life, that life isn't something that should be taken, is rooted in creation. It's rooted in the Genesis account. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he made humankind, when he made human beings, what does he say about human beings? But that he makes them in his image. And so we're just going to do a little thing before you guys all get settled in for your mid-morning rest. I just want to ask if you are created in the image of God to stand. All right, there you go. A few of you aren't standing yet. Some of you are just raising your hands. All right, now look around the room. Now if they are standing, there is a unifying thing about every single one of you, able-bodied, and those not able to stand, obviously we understand. Each of you are created in the image of God. All right, go ahead and sit back down. If I see you snoozing, we're going to stand back up. All right, so don't be nodding off. And I'll, I'll use whose name is at fault for why you have to stand. No. All right, so, so what's the point of that? It's the reminder, the reminder that each and every single one of us, no matter, no matter what sort of cultural differences we have, no matter what, uh, what sort of pressures we face in our world that is trying to obliterate identities and shape them in all sorts of ways. That's a, a rant for another day. What our world is trying to do is blind us to this singular truth that we are all created in the image of God. All of, an, all of us are representatives of God. And what, what God says in Genesis 1 and chapter, and chapter 2, He is giving us a dignified place and standing in creation. There's the animals and there's the plants. They don't get the designation that they're created in God's image. We do. And what happens to creation in Genesis chapter 3 is sin enters into the world and it, and it corrupts all that we know as God's good and beautiful creation and everything is upended and sin enters into the world and it distorts our view and our understanding of how we are God's image and what rises up in God's creation is wickedness death violence destruction decay all of these things start ransacking God's creation And a creation that God tells, go now, flourish, be fruitful and multiply. What ends up multiplying in God's creation is wickedness and death and destruction. And God, he looks at it and all he sees in all of his creation is wickedness and evil. And he says, Noah, you're the only righteous guy I have left. And we're going to start over. And so comes the flood. And there's the flood account and wipes everything out and starts new. Starts with new animals, new, new plants, and a sort of fresh start with humankind. There's something still going on, though, that there's still wickedness and there's still harm. And what God does in Genesis 9, verse 6, and you don't all have to flip over there, just stay in Matthew 5, you're fine. But in Genesis 9, verse 6, God 
is trying to protect his creation. He says, Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind, humankind. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. He begins creating restrictions on uh, uh, what he does is he instills a value of life and he says that value for life is in the fact that each and every one of you are created in the image of God. God presents to us the sort of sanctity of life that each and every one of us have life and value and purpose because we are created in God's image. Now, there's no debate as to what in the world that even means. And I'll save you all the, d- the debate, and I'll tell you the right answer, which is what I think. And uh, for those that are guests, you'll pick up that I'm the most humble and handsomest guy you'll find. But, uh, and there's, that. Yeah, thank you, Dick, for laughing. I appreciate that. Uh, here's what I think is meant by the God's image. We are created to be God's representatives. We are sort of God's agents on the ground. If you're looking for what God wants and desires, God has sent representatives on the earth to do that, to care for creation, to reflect His love and His mercy. The best way that I have thought about or I've heard and read about the God's image is, is that if you would picture ourselves as mirrors, We are mirrors that are to reflect God's glory and splendor in the world. That's what we are. And what ends up happening is sin distorts our ability to reflect God's goodness and glory in this world. Sin starts corrupting, and there are so many times where I look at the mirror that we would look at, and we would see that there are just cracks, and it is a broken mirror that we don't end up reflecting God and His glory, we end up reflecting but we end up reflecting the various images that we want to reflect. We want to appear in a certain way. Perhaps that we have established ourselves, that we're accomplished, that we're successful, that we're happy, that we have it all together. Have you ever felt that way? That you had to project yourself in a certain way to a to appear like you have it all figured out. Friends, the truth is is that we're all broken mirrors and what we end up reflecting is the brokenness of the world. And the story of Scripture is the story of the one who is the firstborn of all creation who is calling us to be renewed in the image of our Creator. It is a call to each and every one of us that we would begin to reflect God's goodness, His mercy, and His love. And the way we do that is becoming mirrors that reflect the image of Christ in our world. And we need new hearts to do that. When we look at our text this morning, Jesus says, You have heard that it is said, Do not murder, or you'll be subject for judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I didn't kill anybody this week. I hope you didn't either. And what does it say about us that we can say, and maybe you've heard this before, 
I'm a good person. I've never killed anybody. What does it say about a culture that that's our litmus test for whether or not you're a good person? Well, I haven't killed anyone. I'm, I'm a good person. Here's what I want us to see, because I think this is what Jesus wants his followers to see, and that is, is that it's not about following the letter of the law in regards to have you or have you not killed someone. Jesus wants to speak towards the heart. Because the very act of killing someone is to deny the fact that they are created in the image of God. It is dehumanizing, it's, it's radically uh, sort of opposing the fact that, that person is created in the image of God to take their life. And while, while God, way back in Genesis, offers protections for the people and their lives, what, uh, what, uh, what the Ten Commandments do is protect protecting life and guarding it and saying there's lifeblood in it and he values it and he says don't take life jesus says let's not talk about the fruit but let's uh, the fruit which is murder let's talk about the root which is anger i want you to think about every conversation you had this week Were you driving down the road and did you call anybody on the road with you an idiot? Some of you are good people. I did. (laughs) The other day there was this guy and I was just driving along, you know, going the speed limit on New 30, which is 75. And uh, I'm kidding there. I was going 70, which is not the speed limit, but you know. Right, they allow it, so I don't... This is wrong. I'm off track. But I'm, I, I don't feel like I do anything wrong. And now I know that I have an inflated view of self um, and so that understand my bias. But I was just going right along and I come behind a guy that's going slower than Tim and then I get into the left, <laughs> I get into the left lane and I pass him. And I don't like ride his bumper. I mean, like there was a good two-car buffer. Well, this guy was just livid that I would pass him on New 30. Like he wasn't in danger. I didn't do anything wrong. And he's just jawing at me and giving me like double-fingered. And it's like, shouldn't you be on the... No, I don't know if it was double-fingered. But he gave me the, the bird and it was just like, really? And I had three of my children in the van with me. And it's like... So I didn't really have too many kind things to say about that guy our our daily walk is almost always a daily assessment of our view of other people and if we pay attention to our mouths we will understand very quickly how we feel about people in our life there are co-workers that drive you crazy and you may not say it to their face but behind your their back what have you said about him? There are, and time out, the sermon's for me, all right? There are a handful of times this week I was like, oh, gee whiz, God, I don't know that I'm the one qualified to talk about this. This is for me too, if not more, stepping on my toes before I step on yours. But guys, we got to think about the words that come out of our mouths. Because Jesus' point is this. 
yeah, you might be a good person because you haven't murdered anyone. But how many stones have you taken and you have chucked at the mirrors that are to reflect the image of God? How many times have you taken stones to tarnish and undermine and hurt and harm the souls of other people? Diminishing their very value and who they are in the eyes of God. We may never take their life, but we feel perfectly fine with wounding their soul. And Jesus is saying that if you use the word raka, and I know that you haven't used the word raka this week, but maybe you said, man, that person's a real dummy, or they're stupid, or they're a moron. (laughs) Oliver's gasping. It's okay, son, I'm preaching. You're allowed to swear. And the, uh, but every time, every time we use such words to tear down people, you ever go on the internet and search people of Walmart, feel good about yourself? Man, those people aren't, look at what's wrong with them. Look at them. Look at how stupid they are. Can you believe they would do that? Have you ever gone onto Facebook and you vented about that moron and that stupid clerk at that stupid store? I'm never going back there again. Jesus' words tell us that those words matter. Whether they find out about them or not. Because he's saying that's your <laughs> that's your measuring stick. And if you're going to use that measuring stick to measure all the people in your life that disappoint you and discourage you, all the people that don't live up to your expectations, all of those things, well, that that measurement's going to be used for you. Now let's flip it. What about for all those times that those things have been directed at us? What about all those times that when people have called you stupid, People have diminished your value and your worth and you feel like you are absolutely nothing in the eyes of this world and in the eyes of God. And the truth is is that we've probably been hurt more than we have hurt others. The truth is is that we are filled with brokenness and hurt and what we feel like is the last thing that we could do is reflect God's glory in this world because we don't know that we're even worth it. Here's... A fact. Every one of us in this room have said things to people we wish we could take back. And every single one of us has something that has been said to us that we wish we could have never heard before. And the question is, what do we do with that? And Jesus doesn't just stand there and rebuke us and say, Hey guys, you're all really lousy at life. See you later. He offers us two illustrations. Illustrations to communicate to us the importance of reconciliation and the immediacy of reconciliation. Two stories to tell us the importance and the immediacy of making things right with people with whom we've hurt or have been hurt by. Jesus tells a story. Tells a story of a person who is taking their gift to the altar. 
the address of the Sermon on the Mount is somewhere on a mountain in Galilee. Jerusalem, the place where you would go and take your gift to the altar, was uh, 80 miles away in Jerusalem. Now, 80 miles isn't really much for us today with our modern conveniences. Flash back a couple of thousand of years, and it would probably take you between three and five days for you to go travel to Jerusalem. And you're supposed to take an animal with you all that long journey, and it's got to be your good one, not your bad one, your good one. And you're going to take this gift and you're going to walk it. Or perhaps if you were wealthy, you would have an animal to ride. But you might probably also bring your family all along with you. I want you to imagine, friends, going uh, maybe all the way across the country, taking you a week to travel to get to California, and you're going to go camping, say, and you've taken all of your camping gear and you've taken all of your family and you've left here a week ago and you arrive and you get everything all set and you set up your tent and you realize that you forgot to call off work. And you spend all week going back, having never enjoyed any camping. That begins to maybe get the sense of this moment when this person takes their gift all the way to the altar of Jerusalem and he gets ready to lay it before and in the presence of God he realizes, I have done harm. I have hurt. I must go and be reconciled. And Jesus says it is better for him to leave his gift at the altar and go be reconciled to his brother or sister before he ever offers the gift. If it were me, I'd be like, I'm going to settle this, I got all the way here, let me go back. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The immediacy is now. The moment is now. Don't go one more minute, one more stretch, one more hour, one more moment where you sweep problems under the rug. He says, reconcile now. Forgive. Go fix the problem with the person, whatever that problem is. The problem needs to be solved now. Because God cares more about our love for one another than our religious acts of service. He wants you to love the people in your life foremost before you offer any sort of gifts to Him in worship. And I don't think we always quite get how radical that is, because I think we can show up to church and still have problems with people. And we say, well, it's not bothering them and it's not bothering me, so we can just leave it. And Jesus is telling each and every one of us, that no, that's simply not true, and we are lying to ourselves to think that we can just hold grudges and still have a good relationship with God. That we can hate people and we can belittle them and still think, well, I can go to church and I'll still be a good person. Jesus says, go and be reconciled. And this second illustration talks about on the way to court, 
settle your disagreement with the adversary. If you don't settle it then, then it's, you know where it's going to lead is it's probably going, going to lead where you get imprisoned and then you won't get out until you pay the last penny. And so here's the whole thing. The whole thing is that there is anger and there's bitterness and there's hurt and there are so many things going on inside of each and every one of us. And Jesus says that that burning, smoldering, fiery flame that's inside of you, if you do not forgive, if you do not move forward, if you do not reconcile, that smoldering fire within you will become a smoldering fire around you. He says you're in danger of the fires of Gehenna. The New Testament translates it hell. Gehenna is a smoldering garbage heap outside of Jerusalem. An illustration to tell us the importance and the immediacy of the need to reconcile. I felt like this message was a little heavy. So I thought I'd get uh, some play, uh, play set balls here and perhaps offer a lighthearted illustration. Um, when I was first hired, I was first hired uh, 12 years ago. In that process, in the midst of that process, uh, there was a there was a great deal of family turmoil for me. My uh, my brother had made an incredibly, uh, I'm trying not to use the word stupid, (laughs) but I think that that serves the point. A terrible mistake that brought a great deal of harm to the people that I care more about than anyone. And the amount of that hurt weighed so significantly on my heart that I believe it affected whoops I'm not really willing to let that one go yet I'm trying to see how much I can hold there's a hundred in here thanks Oliver this might be it no. Here's the uh, here's the deal. Dropped another. That's all right. I was holding on to so much hurt, so much anger towards him. I can't tell you how many times he called me a stupid idiot or a moron. I'd walk down the hallway, and we had a narrow hallway, and his arm would come out, and he would clothesline me. We watched a lot of WWF back in the day. <laughs> WWF, not WWE, the, you know, the original, right? A lot of it was just brothers being brothers but a great deal of animosity and hate brewed towards him. And one day, 
in walking through the Bible, it came time for me to preach about forgiveness. And friends, when you're holding on to this much hurt, it's hard to it's hard to forgive. It's it's hard to be it's hard to be the minister of a church and ask people to forgive and help and encourage. And friends, I don't I don't know what you look like. But there was a season in my life where I looked like this. And I'll be honest, in the writing of this sermon and thinking about this text for this week, my heart and my mind went to my brother where my relationship with him is still not where I want it to be. And so feeling a little bit convicted, I sent him a text. And I sent him a truthful text. I said I miss him and I love him. The amount of hurt that he caused me was minimal. The amount of hurt that he caused my parents is unfathomable. And I'm still learning to figure out how to reconcile a relationship with him. And the point of this message is that, friends, there are just simply things that we need to lay before God. And we need to turn to, to his word and reflect on who we are as children of God. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated and is at the right hand of God. This is Colossians 3, by the way. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self which is being renewed, renewed in the knowledge of the image, the image of its Creator. And here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You are being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its Creator. We belong to Christ. And every person that we come in contact with, they have the potential of being a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. And we have this radical and incredible task to reconcile, to be peacemakers, to love and to care for people and God's wonderful creation. Jesus simply says, go and be reconciled. I'll offer a challenge in a moment, but for now let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you that we have your forgiveness. Your son teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, over and over again, you illustrate for us not to hold grudges, not to hold bitterness in, but to forgive and seek your forgiveness. So God, I don't know who is on our minds and our hearts for each person in this room. But God, give us the courage to say what needs to be said. As we pray to you and seek you, we pray for opportunities to reconcile. God, that we would stop sweeping things under the rug and hope for another day that the bitterness would run. That it would be no more. God, you want us to lay it down today. And so help us. Help us with your spirit, to spirit, uh, your spirit to soften our hearts. God, for all of the tearing down that we can do of others, help us to build one another up. God, help us to see in each person we come in contact with the special dignity that they carry. No matter how they dress on the outside, no matter the mistakes that have surmounted in their lives, let, let us see them as your children. And let us love with dignity and respect that they deserve. God, we have so much to repent from. It's hard to conjure up all the times we've fallen short. And God, we know we haven't murdered, but we know we have done harm. And so we pray for your forgiveness and we pray that we would forgive others and that they would forgive us. We want to seek your peace, that when we are looked at, we would be seen as a community of unity, of peace, and love in the name of Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you look at... 
your sermon notes, there are practical things for us, practical applications, things to follow up on, scriptures to enhance our study. Here's the simple challenge, though. Is Jesus serious? Or is he just telling us a good thing to think about? And so I believe that Jesus is dead serious about the importance of reconciliation. And so your challenge is this. Go and be reconciled. And it may not happen today. It certainly hasn't been the case for me. But I don't want to give up. And I want my brother back. And I know this is a hard message. But I simply ask that you would forgive as God has forgiven you. Go and be reconciled. Let's stand and sing.